Welcome to Whisking It All with your host, Angela Spazito, co-founder of Whisk.ai, a food and beverage intelligence platform. We're going to be interviewing hospitality professionals around the world to really understand how they do what they do. From chefs to owners, mixologists to bar managers, you name it, we want to provide you guys with a ton of value, anything hospitality related. Welcome to Whisking It All. We're here today with Danny Gonzalez from the Cleet Miami. Danny, thank you for being here. How's it going, man? Good. It's a pleasure to have you. I remember the first time we met, actually, I was super fascinated. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that you guys were the first venue in the United States to have a liquor license in a state park. Is that right? I think we are. And if not, we're like number two or three, you know, but yeah, it's not a common thing. No, it's amazing because one of the things that's really interesting about the concession of venues that you have in the Cape Florida State Park is that it's exactly that, that it's in a state park. And so the first time even I came, I was really impressed just to see the restaurant and then the new bar, which we'll get into it in a second. And it's right on the water and you know, Miami and Biscayne, uh, Key Biscayne, I should say. So I guess maybe to just start off, tell us a bit about all the concessions, but then we could jump specifically into the cleat, which I know is more of your baby, so to speak. So there's two restaurants in the park. The first one was Lighthouse Cafe, which you haven't been to. It's on the beach side and it's more focused towards like beachgoers. So, I mean, things have changed a little bit since COVID, but traditionally there was like more prepared foods, more like focused on like sandwiches and we have hot plates. There wasn't as much as like table service as you've seen at Boater's Grill, a little bit different approach, but very much the same vibe. It's like an outdoor wooden deck. It looks very similar vibe. That was the first one. And that started off as a little shack on the beach when we first took over the concessions that was just there. The park just had that. And then a few years later, we built what you'd see now as the restaurant, the Lighthouse Cafe. And it's cool. You can see the lighthouse if you're dining in the deck area and you're steps away from the beach. Then there's Boaters, which is the one you went to, and it's at the harbor. And we're just kind of like opposite ends of the park. It's a lot closer to the entrance. And Boaters, while obviously you can still drive up to it like you did, it obviously has the boater access, hence the name Boaters Go. Yeah. So from my understanding, when I was there, just to paint an image to to the listeners, it's a harbor front, really. So you have all these boats that are just hanging out or whatever that kind of just stop by and park their boat there. And they'll, if I understand correctly, they can get the service to the boat or do they come to Borderville or how does that work? It depends how busy we are. And and some servers have developed friendships with sort of like regular customers and they'll take stuff down to the boat. But it gets, it gets like super busy, and especially if you happen to be like tied up at the very end. Of it, it's just like, <laughs> right, and and then so now so those, makes sense. And so those are two of the venues, and I know the latest project. I've, I've been lucky enough to to be there, and it's such a cool venue. I think it's still a hidden gem. But if anyone has a chance to go, the Cleat Miami. I'd like, maybe tell our listeners a bit about the Cleat, the concept behind it, the inspiration, and paint that picture. Yeah, once the state approved the liquor license, the park kind of just gave us permission to take over. That's the structure that it's stationed in because that building was always there. And that was just called Shelter 19. And it was just like that sort of roof with picnic tables underneath, a water fountain that had power. And there was like some grills out that was just like for public use. I'm not sure how it worked with the park exactly. I think you could reserve it if you wanted to and pay a fee. But for the most part, it was just like first come, first serve. There was like a lot of shrubs. It was like really messy out there. And they just told us that we could take that over. So we built the bar itself inside and cleaned out the space and brought in all that sand and 
built a tiki and all that. But um, yeah, it's a pretty impressive location. The, the view there, I don't think you can beat it. You're just to paint the picture. You're literally on the water. The sunsets there are unreal. You're having a drink at this beautiful bar and there's all kinds of tables right outside. And like I said, you're literally on the water. So it's it, it almost feels like you're, you're on vacation in a sense because you, you forget that you're still in Miami, which, which is kind of cool. Someone, a friend of mine, has not become a friend, but he's done some work for us at the bar. He built our bottle display case and he's built what houses the merch and this other piece of furniture that just serves as a little storage for any sort of paperwork stuff we have. It like sits right outside the bar and he built this table that surrounds one of the trees out there. But anyway, the first time he came, he pointed something out, which I thought was interesting. He says the space and the location is like simultaneously very Miami while being a very rare thing in Miami. If you're not from here, you think that the city is just littered with all these beachfront or waterfront locations or with the sunset. It's kind of harder to come across than you'd imagine. There are that. There's stuff on the water. There's a lot of stuff on the river, which is really cool. But like the way that we have it, it's a rare thing. Last time I was there, I had the chance to chit chat with your dad and hear his story. I'm always fascinated when people come from another country, immigrated to the States and built something from nothing. So I'd love to hear that. And then we'll get into your journey. Yeah. I don't know all the details surrounding him getting into the park. The people that ran the concessions beforehand were in the family, somehow, kind of distant relatives. And the, the guy was running, he was older and I think he was just looking to retire and sell the business per se, but like a private business, but it's also through the state. So you still have to have the contracts. Yeah. You own the name and the business, but it's it's not like you own the land or you don't own the building. But anyway, when he got here to, to Miami, his uncle had like this, a chain of discount stores that he worked in forever from being like a stock boy to, to managing one to then managing a bunch and then he eventually moved over to the warehouse and then he left that for whatever reason and there was a restaurant opportunity that presented itself on mainland Miami. He went in on that without any sort of restaurant experience. The closest thing was like working at a bodega in New York behind the counter, like slicing deli meat and stuff, you know? That's crazy. Do you know what attracted him to go into it the first time? Was it just the opportunity and, and building? It was just like, he had this, this job that he had worked at forever and he just needed to do something. I don't know. I don't know if it was necessarily like this, like passion for food. He went in with a partner and we had that for a few years. And then that eventually just, just didn't work out for whatever reason. They split ways. So then it was okay, now what, you know, and then the concessions were going to become available. And it was like, well, yeah, we can give that a try. And like growing up, my family would never take me to South Beach to go swimming. That's kind of like you go to that park to go to the beach. And so how long ago was this? And your father, just for context, came from Cuba originally, and then some time in New York, and then Miami. And I love it, right? That entrepreneur mentality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Costa Rica for a few years, okay. and then, like fully moving to the States, just because I was like, I left Cuba and had settled there. But yeah, it's basically Cuba, Costa Rica, New York, Miami. Got you. And then so Miami works his way up, sees his opportunity, which I love. It doesn't always have to start with passion. It could just start with opportunity, which is amazing. Kind of jumps in head first. So the state park, if, if I'm not mistaken, this, this was at least 15, 20 years ago, if not more. Yeah, I think when I was like 15 and like I'm 40 now. Okay, so 25. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. I, I think it's pretty amazing that he really saw that opportunity. Yeah. And, and it's just interesting, right? Because like hindsight's 2020, right? Like people see it now. It's, oh my God, this is amazing. They're like, look at this location. But I'm sure 25 years ago, you had to have the vision to take over concessions in the state park that didn't have a liquor license yet. Like that. that's even oh, more. Yeah, that just happened right now. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's easy to be like, oh my God, this is amazing. But yeah, it's really been built from the ground up. Like I said, when we took over, it was just a shack on the beach. It was just like the way it was, but it was pretty much like kind of like hot dogs you see like at a 7-Eleven that are just rotating, crappy pizza, you know, just a general bar type food, but there's no kitchen. And yeah, he loves saying how like when he had the idea of doing like rice and beans and more traditional Cuban or just like Latin cuisine, people were like, oh, you're crazy. Who's going to want to come to the beach to eat? 
rice and beans or like a, a steak or whatever. But it's just like what he knows. So he thought like, if I go to the beach, I want to eat rice and beans. It worked out. I can testify to the fact that the food is awesome. Last time I was there, I was lucky enough. I had a delicious soup, kind of seafood soup. We eat it together. Oh, delicious, delicious. Yeah. Okay, I, th- I think it's really cool. And I think the lesson here is sometimes trusting your gut, seeing something, even though maybe other people don't see it, like that entrepreneurial instinct that's super key. Because I can imagine, right, 30 years ago, it's easy to look at it now, like I was saying, but to see this opportunity of a 7-Eleven type place and imagining what it could be. And now with the expansion of the cleat, I think that's awesome. One of the things I want to get into is your background, right? So what's interesting about you, and this is one of the reasons I want to have you on the show is number one, there's this originality of this state park and one of the first liquor licenses in the state and this kind of angle. But the other thing that I find interesting is unlike a lot of our guests, you haven't been in hospitality forever. And it's in a positive way. I think it's awesome. I think a lot of listeners will be able to relate because um, sure, we hear the stories and it's amazing where people knew it's in their blood, it's in their passion. They've been it for 20 years. But we've had some guests where they've just they just started a business, they've been in it for two years. And that's been interesting to share those learnings and still being in the juice. But your perspective is going to be interesting because your dad has been in it. It's been a family thing, but you've been doing your own thing, which we'll get into. And then you've only been in, in the last few years. And so that that's an interesting angle that I think people could relate to who maybe weren't in hospitality many years later after a certain career are thinking of jumping into it. So why don't we start off with your background? Let's take it back to the 20s. What were you doing university? And then what was your trajectory? Because I always love to hear the how people got to where they got to my 20s yeah just i don't know i went to school i worked at like an art museum for a while worked at the public library for a while and what were you studying in school just out of curiosity i'm always curious to see if if it matches what people study it was photography but more like a history photography so yeah just like art related but yeah with a focus on photography yeah did that and then my late 20s which is like around 2000 i guess 2007 i started playing in a band and that's pretty much what's been happening from then till now, up until COVID, touring and recording and doing that sort of circuit. There's been like little breaks and gaps in between, but for the most part, it's pretty much been like a consistent thing since 2012, whether it was like traveling, whether it was touring in the States or Europe, or we've been to Australia one time. So yeah, it was pretty much just that, just like the band took up most of my time. And out of curiosity, what instrument or role were you playing in the band? Uh, I played bass guitar in the band. Okay, nice. And for our listeners who are curious, what is the name of the band? Jacuzzi Boys. I love it. That's a good name. Jacuzzi Boys. Okay, so for those who are listening, definitely check it out. I'm going to check it out too, Jacuzzi Boys. That's awesome. And sometimes with the the names, I don't know why it conjures up a dance party kind of vibe or something, but it's very much like a straightforward rock and roll band. Gotcha. That's super interesting, right? Because so you graduate from university, you get into this band, and it's not an easy task to get to the point where you're getting booked and, and touring. Even if it's may, maybe not you know, super international, but going to Australia, going to Europe, traveling through the states is still a pretty big deal. Right? Uh, yeah, getting booked to do some cool stuff. Like this past year, we went on, we played a bunch of shows with one of Jack White's bands, like the Rack and Tours. We opened up a bunch of dates for them, and yeah, we've done some like pretty significant shows. It always felt like we were out of our league. I guess we've been doing it for quite a while. So it all it sort of felt like, all right, well, I guess we put in the work. We've right. And, and I think that, you know what, there's something to be learned there. It's like that idea of just putting in the work, putting in the work, and you don't look back. And then when you do look back, you realize, oh, wow, I've came pretty far. But even personally, that's how it's always been with me. Like when I think about Whisk, it's theoretically, what, 2014, so six years, coming up on seven years. And for me, it doesn't feel like seven years because you just keep going and then you look back. How old is Whisk? Officially, like when I started with the idea, it was the end of 2014. I remember like pitching it to a bar and understanding like how they're doing inventory and why it's a pain. And for, for me, when it hit me, I was trying to understand why are so many people doing it on pen and paper and 
if not Excel, because there were some other systems, right? It's not like we were the first, first system, but I couldn't understand why they weren't using these other systems. And, and the short answer was that these other systems were hard or painful to use that people would try it and then go back to pen and paper Excel. So for me at first, and to be perfectly honest, like I, when I started, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to build this big business. I was just like, I'm a very curious person. I love learning. Like I genuinely love to learn. And for me, I just wanted to solve a problem. And I was just like, I wonder if I can solve something. And it started off with the idea and kind of paper and draw out the screens and imagining it and talking to restaurants and bars and then slowly kind of invested a bit of money to get a prototype done. But th- And then the rest goes on. But the point was when it first started, it was really just curiosity and trying to just solve a problem for an industry I was passionate about. Cool. Yeah, going back to you, I think that's super awesome. So you're in the band, you're touring right the last 10 plus years, which is super cool. How does that shift happen? Because I think a catalyst in a sense was COVID, but I think it's super interesting to understand how did that transition happen? And then I'd love to get into the actual transition itself. Yeah, it's it's simple. It really was, at least for me to be as involved as I am now, because Throughout the years, I've always helped here and there. I don't know if I can give you examples. And maybe not so much with ideas, but just helping them actually even just, hey, can you do this or that? Or you need to go to pick something up. Obviously, if I was able to, I've always helped. And when I was like younger, I worked at the restaurants. I was like behind the counter serving drinks or whatever, ringing people up, or just whatever needed to be done. And it's funny, the timing of it all, because we had a month-long tour booked that was going to go like mid-April to mid-May, roughly. Where was it, out of curiosity? It was going to be in the States. Okay, very cool. US tour. And that was at the peak of lockdown. Obviously, a tour works where you book stuff way in advance. So we had this tour booked before the coronavirus. Obviously, the bar was already set in motion, and I was helping out. Like I brought these like friends of mine, these guys, Sun & Sons, which is like their agency, to do branding stuff. Because I wanted to just feel different than the restaurants. The, the, the vibe is very similar, and I wanted it to be, while it's still ours, I wanted to just have like its own identity. So yeah, I brought them on. So I was on board and and helping with ideas and talking to them and whatever. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be gone. And we didn't really have an exact date for when the bar was going to open. We had some stuff to do. And we're just waiting for the license to get approved. There's like a lot of boring stuff. So it's okay, I'm going to help out as much as I can. And then the band will go on and do what we do. And then by the time I come back, if we're open, then I'll help out while there's time off from the band. And if there's not, then I'll do whatever needs to be done. But it was straight up. We passed our last inspection and I got a call from my mom being excited, like, we're done. We can basically open this moment if we wanted to. And then three hours later, the park manager came by. And you know, I think my parents, with some friends, they might have been at the bar having a little celebration. And the bar, well, it wasn't fully done yet. And just hours later, the park manager comes by and he's like, I have some bad news. Tomorrow's the last day we're going to be open. And I think in the back of everyone's mind, they knew like coronavirus was already happening, but it hadn't developed yet. And I guess maybe just thought, ah, things will be under control enough where we could open when we want. Like it kind of moved quick as everyone is aware. You know? Jeez, talk about an emotional roller coaster, right? I can't even imagine like from celebration and yes, we got approved to, hey. And because of being in the park, Park and the way the park works, we were just closed. There was no takeout, there was no nothing. The park was just for like, I don't know, two months or two and a half months. And then we reopened when the like numbers did for a bit. And some places were allowed to reopen again and the, the state approved us to reopen. And we opened and that kind of lasted about a month. And then the numbers like spiked again. So it was like, oh, we closed. And all this, I lose track. It's all been so weird that I forget like the length of time, but it was another two and a half months or longer. I don't even know until we finally now just have opened officially, even though we haven't done any sort of grand opening. We haven't really said anywhere that we're open. It's only just if we happen to get to the park or see it on a boat. And I've done that on purpose. I'm not trying to like really scream it out there. But uh, I'm not sure the timing on that, how it coincides with the tour. But it got to the point where we're obviously canceling the tour. 
And then people thought it was going to be like, okay, this will be like two months and then we'll reschedule. And I remember being like, we'll get some dates on for September. On the hand, I'm like, I think it's just best if we just cancel everything. Cause I don't know. I just had a feeling even at that time it was, everyone was saying it was going to be two months. And he's like, no, we should get dates on because the promoters, they want to keep the calendars like full and have holds and all this stuff. And I was like, all right, well, that's better. And as we all know, there's still no real like live music happening anywhere. And while that kind of sucks and it's pretty much put like a hard pause on the band, but it did let me be around for this opening and be fully hands-on from day one. It would have been pretty rough, my family and where I was working, had I bounced out right at the start. Because we would have opened right as I left for like a month. So yeah, I guess it's funny how it all worked out, like some pros, some cons, but ultimately it's a good thing, but I don't know. As far as the bar is concerned, it was a good thing. Yeah, there you go. And, and it's interesting, right? Because it's a lot of moving pieces, but in the end, it's like timing made it so you're in it. And so I'd love to hear some of your experience as, let's say, first time bar owner. I think it's fresh in your mind. I know it's a bit different because the building was there, but there were still things to do. There was still steps to take. So what did some of the process look like? So it's okay, we got this idea. We want to open up another venue in that building down there closer to the water. Like, what does that step one look like? Oh, man. I guess step one is really, like, what is this thing going to look like? At first, we had ideas of, oh, maybe we just bring in a storage container that we convert into a bar and we can slide that storage container underneath that roof and just operate out of that. I mean, you've been there. Imagine like a storage container butted up against that back wall. Got you. And the kind of fit, it was like the perfect measurement. Like a storage container could fit in there, like height-wise and length-wise. And it was, oh, this seems cool. You come into the back. So there was all these like, and then I was like, oh, no, maybe we make the bar like this shape or that shape or whatever until we just decided it was going to be like what it is now. And then did you do most things internally? I've spoken to venues who love to take things in-house from design and branding and others that are okay with outsourcing some of that in terms of you know, experts, so to speak. So what was your angle when it came to the whole kind of building of the brand, the idea, even the name, right? Where did you guys come up with the name? Uh, the well, actually, my mom came up with the name. We were tossing all these names back and forth, not just amongst like the family, but I would ask friends who would you know, come by and be like, we, I think the seawall was a strong contender for a while because if you're standing inside the bar and looking out, to your left-hand side, that is what's called the seawall. It like runs along that whole edge of the park. And it's like what people fish off of and stuff. What was the worst name? <laughs> Do you remember any bad contenders? Not Maybe not the worst because I don't want to call out a friend or something. It's funny because what might be considered one of the worst names, I thought was like a great name. And it's actually someone else's idea. One of the guys that from Sun and Sons that's handled branding. They're the same guys that did Gramps. And they're, they're old friends of mine. So Mike had this idea to call the, the bar the horse. Because it just seemed so odd, a bar called The Horse on the Water. And it was like, there's like a, that, that song by America, I've been through the desert on a horse with no name. The harbor is called the No Name Harbor. Not that we're like diehard fans of this song or anything, but it was kind of like a funny joke. And my dad actually was like a big horse lover. He's like from the country in Cuba. He's rode horses all his life. But anyways, but my mom had put together a list of names. I don't know if she was looking at through some like sort of like nautical book or something or you know, boat related stuff. And she might have sent a list, but she just wrote the word cleat. And cleat, for those that don't know, it's like the little steel shaped thing, what you use to tie your boat to when you pull up to the harbor. And she shared that. And so I looked at the list. Let's say there was like five things on the list. I was just, nah, I don't like any of these names. So later on that day, and for some reason, I was like, wait, and even just as simple as like adding the in front of it, it just seemed cool. And it just seemed like perfect. Like come tie yourself up to the bar, the cleat and the boats are right there. And it felt very appropriate without being obvious. Cause some people you know, come to the bar and they're like, what's the bar's name? And we have a flag that has like the logo and, and it's that right there. And they're like, what is that? And they're like, oh, so it's cool. It's somewhat of an insider thing. I can imagine a lot of people, right? Like the majority of people who don't know much about, let's say boating in general, yeah. probably wouldn't know at a first 
And yeah, and then they see it and they're like, oh, of course, that shaped the thing. But so yeah, I, when, it, when that kind of clicked, I still kept playing with names in my mind. I was like, it's the cleat. Like it has yeah. to be. I love it. So your mom had in the list, then you took it around. And then, and then did you guys, how do you guys go about agreeing, right? Because obviously your dad's involved, your mom's involved, you're involved. Is it Julio's involved, let's say, but I guess that's more voters. But in general, how do you go around like green lighting the name? Was it just, hey, we're all in? Kind well, of thing? Like, while, my, while my folks are, are involved, when it comes to that sort of stuff, they'll give their opinion, but they're a little bit more hands off when it comes to that. Like, especially my dad's like, I would share with, like, I have an older brother and I would share with him and he knows the Bernie and Mike and all those guys. I would d- definitely share with them. I wanted them to be excited because they came up with a bunch of names themselves and we would sit down and then discuss why these are cool names or not. But I was like, I think we all decided on a name, but it's not one of you. It's like, we haven't, talked. but I wanted them to be excited because I didn't want them to be like, oh, like they're going to have to work on branding for this thing. And right. they were stoked on it. They were like, no, it's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. So that's super interesting. So taking a step back, basically, so new project, you see this opportunity, I guess the first step in a sense was applying for whatever permits you needed and liquor yeah. licenses and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's yeah, like, yeah. So all that paperwork. And- thinking that the band was still going to be like functioning the way that it had been was, and when I say make this place look, I meant more like branding wise and like a name and a cool logo and the way the menus might look. And But I didn't even really expect to be hands on, like talking to distributors, which I do now. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to try to make sure this thing looks cool. That's so interesting. So basically all the permits finally come up with a name. So what's the next step, right? Because again, you were new to it and that's a good thing because there's going to be a lot of our listeners who are, are new to the game, which is normal, right? So you came up with the name, you hired this company, what were the next steps? How did things go with branding and then construction? What did the next steps actually I mean, look yeah, like? Yeah, sure, like getting the bar built and you've seen it, it's a pretty big bar and it's, it's Terrazzo and it has all these sort of like angles. It's not just like a sort of 90 degree standard bar. And that was also, that was Sun and Sun's idea. And it's funny because a lot of people, when they come up, they're like, oh my God, this bar is it's amazing. It's beautiful. Like this angle, it's, it's not really traditional. So it looks like it's something we like sort of went crazy to get all these like angles and then put all this thought into it. But really the bar was going to be a standard bar and kind of last minute, one of the Sun and Sun guys just like, hey, what if we just like did this? That could be cool. And then the people building, they were like, yeah, no, I think we can handle that. So it wasn't this like crazy master plan. Like we're going to have this incredible looking bar that's going to have all these funky angles. And to me, the best stuff is always like that. That's cool. And, and you know what? Yeah, I'd love to get your perspective on some of the good and the bad. So obviously it's still pretty fresh, but what's interesting about you is you just got thrown into it in a sense. So what were some of the things to start off that you didn't expect, right? So like now you came up with the name, work on construction, just maybe I think people will be able to re- relate or maybe at least get an idea of what can possibly come up in the near future if they're working on something. I don't know what comes to mind really. But I guess one thing for the amount of times that I've spent at bars being a patron, whether it's just for fun here in town or we're on tour, we're playing bars. You don't really take into consideration the way that the inside is laid out and what like the different things do. And we've already realized like, oh, this definitely could have been better. And this should have been smaller. We need to start somewhere. And while my family has been doing like restaurant stuff forever, and no one's like familiar with, with the bar world. Just like these weird little things that you don't take into consideration. You're- yeah. And I guess you learn as you go. But it's funny because I even mentioned it in the previous episodes, but just the idea of once you're on the other side and you just mentioned it, there's 99% of things that have to go like from the experience, the vibe, maybe the music, the view, the drink itself, the, the vibe with the actual bartender. So many things have to go. But from a client point of view, like you said, you're just kind of like, cool, that was a good drink. And I had a good time. But to have that good time, there's 99 things that have to go right before that. And it, for me, that's a part I love. There's so much passion that goes into hospitality in general, restaurants, bars, or whatever. And to get that unique you know, customer experience at the end is, is a pretty magical thing. Yeah. We're still saying it's new. It's like a brand new thing. And I, I still have no idea 
what I'm doing. Definitely, I know more than I did day one, you know, but I still don't really know anything. And there's so many things that need to be expanded on and tightened up and whatever. But it's funny not to bring up, but like Graham's Adam is, is an old friend of mine. And I've definitely relied on him a bunch. Like I've asked him a bunch of questions, whether it's just like spirit related or the bar or whatever, just anything. And I think Graham's just turned 10. Like maybe last week, it was like their 10-year anniversary. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, Adam, if you're listening, congrats. Yeah. 10 years in hospitality is not easy. And it, that kind of helps me put things into, into perspective because sometimes I'm like, oh man, I wish this was already this way or I wish we need to do this to the bar or it would be cool if we had this thing. But I can remember when Graham's opened, it was like that patio, like their outdoor space was just a huge gravel pit. It was nothing but like rocks. And I remember like people would complain that their shoes would get ruined. A few tables up there, there was like, one like makeshift stage and i remember my friends i would dj there occasionally and it was just like one big powered speaker there was no sound system it was just like one speaker on a stage with some random table and chairs if you walk up to gramps now it's like this everything is built out amazing outside and it's all these plants and things are painted nicely you know but like things can take a while people love to show and be like oh man you should do you should gotta have this music and he thought about live bands and it's like no i know I, yeah, but one, one step at a time. Yeah, and right. I think it's that idea of, like you said, like sometimes you don't realize, right? You, you're just working and you're just fixing things and day to day and you're going and you're going. And then when you look back, hindsight's, oh, wow, look at everything I've done. But I guess the analogy is like climbing a mountain. It's one step at a time. And then you look back and you're like, wow, I'm pretty high. And that's pretty cool because that's where you're at right now. And you're climbing and you're learning and you're just taking it as it goes. And I'm sure even just year one anniversary or year two, anniversary, you'll look back and be like, wow, it's come a long way. And that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I just t- tend to be like somewhat like anxious just in general. I get very like, oh, that thing needs to get done now, you know? So like, sometimes I find myself like talking to myself just being like, just chill. Yeah, no, 100%. And um, I'm thinking any closing advice, let's say for people listening, of course, you always want advice from a mentor, right? Like having someone like Adam from Grams, I think is super important in this world. If you can have a mentor, like obviously you're going to make your own mistakes no matter what. But if you can also learn from other people's mistakes, that helps. Any closing words from you in the sense of things you've learned or just advice? The best thing was what we were just talking about. I'd say just take things one step at a time because... It's easy to have all these great ideas, but you just try to do it all at once. It gets overwhelming quick, especially if you're new to it, whether it's like a, a cost thing or just like logistically or whatever. So it's just like things will, things always develop. The learning there is just, it's okay to have a lot of ideas, but you got to get good at prioritizing and you got to have a certain level of focus. Cause I guess sometimes if you try to do too many things, you get nothing done. So it's, it's how do you prioritize and how do you also have that patience knowing that hey, success doesn't happen overnight. This might take five years. And you might be successful year to year, but the, the grand success might take five, right, 10, right. 15 years. It's hopefully you continue to develop. It's not, yeah, we're finished. Hopefully you're always adding to it or changing things or tweaking or just trying new things. Yeah, and I would imagine like most entrepreneurs in any industry, but hospitality is no exception. You're always evolving your product and your vision to, to a certain perspective, whether it's expanding it, adding new locations or just reworking the branding or renovating. Or, and if you don't, it's, it's that, that catch-22 that I've seen. And now it's different because of COVID. Prior to that, I've always seen this kind of paradox in the hospitality space where if things are working, you don't want to change anything too much. So someone might be like an old school place and it's super busy. And they don't want to renovate. They don't want to do anything because things are working. But then on the flip side, if things are not working, you're like, I can't afford it. So it, it's, it's a tough balance, but it's finding that zone of investing where you can. So not getting too comfortable in what you have, knowing that it might disappear. But on the flip side, not not waiting till things are not good and then being like, ah, I wish I could renovate, but I'm not busy enough. I feel like with everything, there's always exceptions to the rule because there are some amazing old bars that I'm like, I hope nothing they don't ever change. Yeah. And it's like this for the next hundred years. I just, no, the please, vibe. don't update anything. Don't try to add yeah. some cool new 
whatever. Just know. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I think my parallel there would be like, it doesn't necessarily have to be physical. So the, to those right. old school right. places, if they're winning on charm and vibe and energy, then they're maybe reinventing how they do inventory. Honestly, it's like operational stuff. But I think as a business, you're always reinventing. Honestly, this is great. This is an awesome combo. And one of the ways we love to, to end the episode is, is called Last Day on Earth. And real simple, you don't have to overthink it. The idea is just uh, hypothetically, if it was your last day, what would be your go-to drink and what would be your go-to meal? Am I having this drink at home? Whatever you want. You can add the look. It's more just, just imagining what your drink would be in your meal. Because I like to hear what hospitality professionals enjoy. And it's not because we're talking about a bar that I'm now involved with. But I do think one of my like happiest places is sitting at the bar with a cool jukebox that has all my sort of favorite classic rock, country, soul type R&B sort of selection and like a whiskey and a beer. If I'm sitting with someone I can talk to easily and I'm sitting at a bar and there's those kind of like music selections on a jukebox and I have just like Jameson and a Budweiser, that's like my dream night. So happy with that. That's awesome. And what about meal? What would be your last meal? It'd probably be in Spanish. It's called like a, it's called vaca frita, which is basically the, the straight up translation is fried cow. It's basically shredded beef. And then it's kind of fried, but not not breaded fried, just like pan fried with onions in it and, and garlic and stuff. But that with white, white rice and sort of plantains, when that's like on point, it's I, I love it. Yeah. Amen. That and or there's like this pizza place here in town called Frankie's Pizza. It's been here since the 50s. It's out in the suburbs, but I'm obsessed with Frankie's Pizza. And it's not like necessarily like it's fancy, but they sell it to you half baked. So you, you can bring it home and you finish it off in your oven at home. You can have it. You can they can fully cook a few there. But yeah, it would either be some sort of like Cuban thing like that or some Frankie's pizza. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. Danny, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And I think you shed some light for a lot of people who are new to the industry. It's been amazing to hear about your journey. And I know it's only the beginning of your journey in the hospitality space in terms of really getting your feet wet. So it's super cool. For those who are going to be in Miami, definitely recommend checking out the Cleat. I've been there a few times and it's an awesome vibe, awesome drinks and a really amazing view. Cool. Well, thanks for having me, man. Hopefully I'll see you. I'll see you next month, maybe. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back. I booked my flight uh, January 10th. So I'll see you in oh, January. Right. You'll be back. We'll have a whole, I'll have a whole list of questions. <laughs> Regarding this. No problem, man. No problem. Yeah. Danny, it was a pleasure. Have a good rest okay. of the day. Thank you.